Welcome to the Bird's Eye View Podcast. I'm Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer here with Zach Berman, also of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Zach, Doug Peterson announced today that Nick Foles will start on Sunday, pretty much a foregone conclusion. What you know? What should we expect out of Nick week two going against the Bucks? I think he's going to be play, play better week two. Uh, the Bucks defense, in my opinion, not as good as the Falcons defense. Let up 40 points last week against the Saints. Now the Saints are in a high-powered high offense. But I, I think you'll see more from Foles this, this week. And I, I think they get back to, like, Foles starting. You just wonder if this is going to be his last week, too. Because how long is this going to go being a week-to-week thing? And how close is Carson? Right. Uh, we'll talk to Car- about Carson soon. Nick has some good vibes going back into Tampa. His first mm-hmm. NFL win came yep. there in 2012. And then the following year, under Chip Kelly, they won 31-20 or something he, like that. He played well down there. That and he played year. well that game, too. And that's when he kind of started that run that we saw um, in 2013 when he won 8 of 11 games. I don't think it was the start of it, but it was towards the beginning. Yeah, yeah. He, he started that game, and I think he got hurt the following week and came back and – uh, two weeks later, and had that that seven touchdown game. But no, definitely good good memories for four foals down there. That 2012 game um, was really the highlight of the 2012 season for him. It was the only game he won that year, but he played really well. Had had the walk off touchdown, uh, and I just remember being in the locker room after the game. There was a lot of optimism about Foles' future. Uh, Jeremy Macklin was saying how he just he he has that look. He has that something special. And whatever that was, it came through in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, for the most part, you'd say that you know, Nick has come to fruition in terms of his ability to be a starter in this league. I don't know if it was as grand as, grand as maybe Macklin had made it out at that point. I was reading back the story because my story for Sunday, just to tease a little ahead, is going to be about Nick returning um, and looking back upon that game because really it was impressive for many, many reasons. One being they only had three starters on offense and then they lost one, Brent Selleck, on the, on the first play from scrimmage to a concussion. So it was Evan Mathis, Jeremy Macklin, and a bunch of guys. Give our listeners a sense of how bad that offensive line was. Okay, so left to right, King Dunlap, left tackle, Evan Mathis. Okay, so you had a good left guard. Center was Dallas Reynolds. Right guard was Jake Scott. Mm-hmm. I don't think many people remember him. No, he was signed midseason. Right, and your right tackle is Dennis Kelly. Now, you know, these guys have all – some of them have started yeah. over various points in their career, and they're, they're not bad players, but to throw them all out there together, all five of them, was tough. I mean, Nick got sacked six times and was hit 13 times. That that year, Jason Peters was injured during the offseason. Jason Kelsey was injured early in the season, and Todd Harriman's midseason. So uh, it was not the offensive line they went into the season expecting. So, you think that Nick's going to be? We're going to see a little more of improved Nick. This is a yeah. defense that we're going to look at the the Buccaneers a little more exclusively when we when we talk on on Friday. But um, you know, this is a defense that allowed a lot of points to you know high, a potent Saints offense. But they do have talented players. Uh, Gerald McCoy is one of the best defensive yep. tackles in the league. They went and got Jason Jason Pierre Paul. They have uh, Vinnie Curry, Bo Allen. We both know that we know both those guys. Good linebackers. Uh, my point is, you know, bringing these guys up is that, you know, I think for Nick a lot of times it's not the guys who they're playing against. It's just kind of more him than anything. And you, you did you ask the rhythm question today? But, I asked Mike Rowe the question yesterday, and then yeah, he was asked and he was Doug asked today. again. But Doug, I thought, gave a kind of a a good answer to to how you can get 
Nick going, and one of those one of those ways is the early rhythm is is getting complete is is getting easy passes early on to get him going. The thing is this though, I, I heard that now for much of Nick's career, and especially last year, and a lot of it's on Nick, not on the coaching staff. I I think because I think they go into most games calling it like that, but ultimately, and I I should say some of it's on the offensive line as well when. When Nick has pressure in his face, I don't think he's the same quarterback. A lot of guys aren't, but Nick especially. And Nick just just he needs to get going early. I, I don't think it's I, I think the coaches can do a little bit in terms of the game plan and the play calling. Well, Doug but I think Nick tempo. just needs to do it. Doug Doug also mentioned tempo is another way to get that helps, going. yeah. I mean, it was funny in reading in reading stories from the two thousand and twelve game, Nick was talking about like getting in that zone even then. You mm-hmm. know, like he's He's such a basketball player. Yes. You know, that whole kind of get in the zone thing. You talked about it last week. Uh, but to his credit, I think when Nick has his low moments, they're not as low as they used to be. Just like last week. I mean, he could have folded last week, and he didn't. You know, he still kind of sure. guided them to victory. That's what you like about him. He's a gamer, quote-unquote. Um, and I think this week, if we if we can kind of now uh, spin Carson Wentz into this conversation, it's the Bucks. Okay, you're, they're on the road. They They – Perform well against the Saints in the in the opener. And I don't think that should dictate whether you're playing Carson or not. When Carson's cleared and ready to go, you bring him back. But maybe in the back of their minds, they're saying, "Okay, this is not a game that we necessarily need Carson to be back for." But then you could say the same thing next week about the Colts, probably. So that's where that's a slippery slope. I I I've always said once Carson's ready, he plays. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think if you're talking about an opportunity for for Nick to kind of generate some momentum. Um, this is certainly it, and, and the fact that you beat the Falcons, and now you have the Bucks, a winnable game, even though it's down in Tampa, and then the Colts next week, a winnable game at home. If you can go two and zero with Foles or potentially three and zero, I think there's a chance Carson can be back next week. But if you can go two and zero or three and zero with Foles, then he's doing everything you're asking him to do. Now, Doug Peterson gave us some information begrudgingly about Carson Wentz. He has yet to be clear for contact. Not that that's a surprise. That's why he's not playing Sunday. Uh, he's doing scout team work, not not a big surprise either. And the other thing was, I guess, his GPS tracking. This was there was an ESPN report from Chris Mortensen saying that you know their analytics on that has him trending in a positive direction, which you do imagine. But I guess maybe they they wanted to hit a certain number, perhaps. Um, yeah. In terms but, of, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that's kind of? No, I think that's a little fluff. Gibberish, because, uh, yeah. Because. I think he looked good during the during the preseason, and I don't have access to the team's GPS tracking, but I, I would imagine that when he was out there doing eleven on elevens, especially early in camp, the, the numbers look good. Yeah, I, I, so I, I kind of was wondering, is he running around more <laughs> yeah, than the so that's, I don't know, Zach. You you wear one of those yes, uh, uh, yeah. trackers. How many steps do you do today on average? I go for ten thousand, and I, I usually hit it ten. You usually hit ten thousand. Yeah, do you think goal. that you'll be able to play Sunday? Uh, report Sunday. <laughs> no. Do I think I'm, I'm going to report Sunday? Yes, but if you've seen some of the reporters in the in the in, in the press box, you don't necessarily need ten thousand steps to report. Yes. Um, all right. When do you think Carson's going to be back? Because now we've had a couple of national reporters kind of chime in and say that they seem to be. Uh, I mean, the reports have been soft, but they're. It's more like maybe maybe two, three, four. I, weeks I guess the conflict back. is although is, Mortensen seems to be saying that Yeah, Mortensen said one more start I mean, for Foles. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna be the, you don't think it's gonna be the not, case. Not from what I'm So you think it's gonna be Minnesota? Either. I'm thinking I was thinking Minnesota. I mean, I think I think Colts still could be out okay. there, but I I 
I'd lean more towards Minnesota than the Colts. I would lean more toward Minnesota than the Colts at this point. But uh, it's it's interesting because I I'll say this on on air here. I was wrong. I thought he was going to play week one. Um, I think he can play. Uh, but well, if he if he was medically cleared. Um, so so that seems to be the. To hit your defense, here. you were looking at it from Carson's point of view. I was looking at it from my eyes too. I'm not a doctor. I admit that. So but when you watch him in practice. You think he's 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 ready to play quarterback? He thinks he's ready to play quarterback. And frankly, I don't think they would have pushed him as much as they did during the offseason or during training camp if there wasn't a shot at it. Well, I think they allowed. I think again, like I think there's just kind of like this this gray area between what they were allowing and what Carson was doing. Okay. And at some point, I think they said we have to not let Carson do what he wants to do. Which is like, which if yeah, I I know a lot of our listeners don't know Carson, but. Carson is very much a control freak, um, so that that's tough for Carson to hear. Right, and I think there's been kind of an internal, like I've talked about this before, yeah. I think there's like a little bit of an internal battle, and I don't think it's like in a negative way. You want your starting quarterback sure. to be gunning to play as soon as possible, so I don't think the Eagles look at this as a negative thing. But you have to kind of, you have to massage the situation with Carson. I mean, this is your franchise quarterback. You don't want to upset him, and you don't want him uh, being distracted from yeah. from completing this goal but that being said i'm sure it's you know doug i mean doug pretty much said it last week when we asked him about why he got so upset over the initial report that carson wouldn't be starting the season opener and he said yeah because you know carson hadn't known yet sure and he said that yeah that's a situation that i have to deal with and um and i can understand that but that all that being said i'm sure it's not easy for them i have a question for you here so Nick Foles is obviously on on the team as this valuable insurance policy for exactly what happened here. Carson wasn't ready. Had they traded Nick Foles back in March, so say Nick, uh, say Nate Sudfeld's the backup quarterback, do they beat the Falcons? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I guess Nate Sudfeld could have played as well as Nick did in, in the opener, so maybe. Um, you know, the, my my feeling on the trade talk in March is that the Eagles were open to it, but only for a ridiculously high amount because. They probably knew that the likelihood of Carson being ready for the season opener wasn't very high. And that always factored into their decision because they were reportedly asking for um, a first rounder. And then I think even maybe they had dropped a second round. I don't even know that for certain. But they never even got anything remotely close from that, from that, from that, uh, you know, from what they were asking. So. You know, to me, I just think they knew all along that, that they're probably going to need Nick for, for a few games. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too. One of Nick's biggest fans anywhere owns this team. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie is a big Nick Foles guy. And Jeffrey Lurie, uh, as he's publicly stated, really values having a really solid quarterback situation, even with the backup. Um, so I don't think they were going to give Nick Foles in a trade unless – they felt they were clearly winning the trade. Right. And then when that period had passed, they gave him a new contract in April. They gave him more money. Mm-hmm. So now he's now earning how much per game per start? $250,000 more he's earning per start. Um, so I think then they even knew that it's likely that he was going to, they were going to need it. We probably should have read more of those tea leaves, I guess, and decide, you know, because again, it comes down to the team. It doesn't come down to Carson, it comes sure. down to the team. And that's why he's not playing. Um, on Sunday. All right, let's look at uh, a little bit of what's going on at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. Now, the Eagles 
made they brought in some players in for workouts. They end up ultimately signing Kamari Aiken, bringing him back, and waving Marcus, Marcus Weeding. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Tip for tat there. I mean, not really much of an upgrade, I guess, with Kamari Aiken. But yeah. I, I think it was very clear that they liked Aiken more than they did Wheaton during training camp. I was very surprised by what happened here. Um, just because you bring Marcus Wheaton back. Guarantee his contract. Uh, you guarantee his contract. But, but really, you have him just to play, what, two offensive snaps? I guess maybe you want insurance in case there was an injury during the game. But they, they, they brought Marcus Wheaton back late last week. Guarantee his contract, and then you release him this week. It just seems odd. Um, if you, you know, could you have gotten by with four receivers last week? Probably so. Uh, if you like Kamar Aiken, is Kamar Aiken in a better position now than he was a week ago? Maybe Aiken. Well, Aiken had been dealing he, with injuries. He so maybe he wasn't one hundred percent last week. I just, it, I, I think you probably could have gotten by with a practice squad receiver then. Greg Ward or... Or Rashard Davis, someone Rashard who, Davis. whose contract you're not guaranteeing. Now, neither of those guys are here now. No. Um, and so I, I would have thought that if, if you're going to add a receiver in that Marcus Wheaton spot, if you're going to cut Marcus Wheaton and bring back a receiver, um, have someone who maybe has a little more upside going forward than Kamar Aiken. Kamar Aiken's a solid pro. I, I mean, he's, he's been really productive. He was productive for the Ravens a few years ago. But it's similar to Marcus Wheaton. It's a guy who's here this year. And is a is a veteran backup insurance policy. But what does that tell you that they brought in someone who's actually done something in the league? Well, probably that they're not confident with the guys they have. Right. I mean, but I look. I didn't expect DeAndre Carter to play as much as he did. I understand they want Nelson Aguilar moving around. Carter plays the slot. But I thought the biggest problem in 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 week one was not having Alshon Jeffrey because um, it changes your whole dynamic at wide receiver. Yeah, he's the X factor. Um, he does draw a lot of attention out there when he when he's on the field. So not having him, I think, you know, makes Mike Wallace into kind of a one trick pony. Are you worried about Mike Wallace? Well, I mean, you know, that question was asked today at the press conference. And I thought it was a fair one. He didn't do much in the preseason. Uh, he didn't do anything in the season opener. Now a couple of those throws were a little bit on Nick. I thought maybe he could have done a better job of tracking him. I don't know. It seems like maybe uh, it could have gone both ways. But um, yeah, I'm a little worried about Mike Wallace really? because. Okay. Uh, you know, he's he's still got the speed. I thought he was open on on two of those deep passes. Yeah, yeah, he had some he had a step there. So I think it was probably more Nick than maybe than maybe Mike Wallace. But with Wallace, he's he's got to be able to do more than just just burn the top off. Does he though? A defense, I think so. I think you have to be a threat. You have to okay. be a threat in other areas. I mean, you just can't be running deep posts all the time. But but this is where I say they miss Alshon because I mean, Tory even Tory Smith did other stuff. Sure. Sure. And, and he wasn't great last year, but you need to do other stuff. Yeah, and Wallace can run slants. I mean, no, Wallace he can. can do a lot. I know you're so, saying, but I just think when you have Alshon, it changes the dynamic for the rest of the receivers. Yeah, no. I, I mean, mean, even Nelson Aguilar was who's who you could argue is their best receiver, even with Alshon here. I mean, Nelson's a really talented player. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but no, I, I'm I've always been an Alshon guy, yeah. but but Nelson's a really talented receiver. But everything was short last last. Yeah, week. I think that was more on, on the play calling than it was okay. on, on Nelson. I mean, Nelson, Nelson, get down the field. I mean, he's as almost as fast as Wallace. So why not use it, utilize him in that in that way? We yeah, but I think when he's in the slot, he he really has an advantage there. When he's on the outside, is he getting downfield as much? No, but I, I, I got to look at the snaps. I think it was kind of a pretty much even yeah. split. So he's still in the slot a fair fair amount. Sure. Um, no, they need more production out of their wide receivers. And what was interesting was that they went with a lot of the 11 personnel 
when you would think that with Dallas Goddard here, you, they would do more 12 personnel. And I think Goddard was only out there for like 11 snaps. Uh, he Maybe was 17. Yeah, 20-something percent. I believe. Now, again, he's a rookie. You're asking a lot out of him, and, and he wasn't great. He had one catch for four yards. He had a, a ball that he probably should have pulled in that mm-hmm. turned into an interception. And then that on that uh, fade route, that corner fade route, uh, he got one foot in, he got another, and that probably would have been tough. But um, I would have st- I would have rode more with, with 12 personnel, I think. I would have, too. I thought they were going to do that going into the game. Uh, it sounds like they want to play Goddard more in the red zone. They, they really didn't have much red zone work um, this this weekend, and I know we'll talk about the Bucks on Friday's podcast, but the Bucks are – it looks like they're not going to have Vernon Hargraves. That will be a big absence. Um, the Grimes, wide receivers – Grimes out too, I think. I think he's, he's, two he's trying to come back, yeah. but yeah. Um, but uh, this is an opportunity for the Eagles receivers, even if they're undermanned, to try to get something going here. It's, it's going to be a situation where uh, – you want to see something from the offense. I don't think they can survive on 18 points. I, I think I, I as think well a lot as the defense played. The defense last year, their home road splits were, were pretty significant. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I mean, I think a lot of the issues were that they couldn't get the run game going, and you need to run the set up to pass, especially when the offense is the personnel is as it is right now. And I thought a lot of that had to do with just kind of riding Darren Sproles as opposed to Jay Ajayi early. I would have gone with Ajayi. So um, my guess is that we'll see more of 26. Uh, in the first quarter of this game that we did last week, I get Sproles more involved in the passing game. I mean, I mean like focus on him as a, as a receiver more than a yeah, runner. yeah. No, that's that, I mean, that that's yeah. his, that's his bread and butter. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, this will be what we ran up here with. Um, you know, I, I thought looking back upon the game, looking at the film, there were a couple unsung heroes. Everyone talked about Fletcher Cox, who had a phenomenal game, one of his best games of his career. Um, really, kind of seems like he's on track to maybe even be in the, the conversation. What he's talked about becoming defensive yep. end player of the year. Jordan Hicks, his return, really good game. I thought Ronald Darby was strong too, but um, I, I got uh, Ronnie McLeod as kind of an unsung guy. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, he had a good game um, all over the field. Now, could he have pulled in maybe one or two interceptions? Yes, and that's something the Eagles defensive backs need to work on. But he's in position for that. But that's, he's in position. Like, yeah, yeah, no, good, yeah. good, not great. You know, you gotta yeah. you gotta pull those in. But he had um, r- really strong tackling against the run game. I think he had one missed tackle early on on a end around the Julio Jones. I mean, that's you know that's going to happen. But overall, Rodney McLeod, strong game. I'm glad you said that. And I, I've spoken to a lot of people about Rodney in the summer for a story I'm going to write at some point on the Eagles' safeties. And 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 the way it was explained was how important that role as the deep safety is. And it's kind of a thankless job sometimes because. You're not in a lot of plays. Yeah, and when there's a big play, people point to you. Yeah. Um, but he he does so much on the back end of that defense. And like you said, he needs to get those interceptions. He'll he'll tell you that too. But he's in position for them, and that's not something every defensive back can say. Yeah, and he you know, he had some you know, he'll move up sometimes in the, in the strong spot in the box and he had a nice he'll tackle. Blitz sometimes, yeah, yeah, and he'll blitz at his sack last year in the playoffs against the Falcons. So, I mean, Ronnie can do uh, a bunch of things, too. I mean, he's, you know, he's not as, as versatile as Malcolm Jenkins, but he is versatile. Is there anybody else from that defense that maybe Zach uh, maybe didn't get uh, the headlines after the game that you thought played well? Yeah, you you mentioned Darby. Darby got the headlines. I, I, I thought the linebackers, Nick Gary, did did, did really better than I thought. himself? Yeah, um, and I liked him in that Cowboys game in Week 17 last year. I'm curious to see now that Nigel Bradham's back, and that's a big addition, we should say. Now that Nigel Bradham's back, um, who plays that weak side linebacker spot? Is it going to be Camus or is it going to be Nate? 
It, it may could be, be just both. maybe both based yeah. upon matchups. I guess maybe a little shuffle in. And we we know with Jim Schwartz, if you dress, typically you're going to play on defense. Um, not everybody, but he likes to rotate guys in and out, and that's what we saw against the Falcons. I imagine that's what we're going to see against the Buccaneers. We'll talk about them a little more, um, just to tease it a little bit um, and tease that offense. You got Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. He had you know, a career game. I don't think he's going to look like he did in New Orleans. No, I don't. But he yeah. does that every now and then. Yeah. That's why he's been around for so long. That's why he always seems to end up starting. And everyone believing that he's an NFL starter. And then he started for se- he started on seven teams over 14 years. Wow. I give him credit. But Sean Jackson sounds like he's probably not going to be ready. But you have Mike Evans on the other side and Chris, uh, Chris Godwin. Yeah. Penn State boy. Who's, he had a touchdown last week. Had a really good preseason. Played, played well late in the season last year. Uh, he's a guy the Eagles really need yeah, to watch out for. That, that, that's an offense with some weapons. They got two tight ends. Um, certainly got uh, OJ Howard and Cameron Bray. Yeah, both exactly. Teams. So and and then in the in the backfield, that was a question. They drafted Ronald Jones in the second round, but he was inactive last week. Had a really bad preseason. They've been going with Peyton Barber as as their running back, and he was okay last week. He he wasn't bad. So uh, I think what the Eagles are going to try to do is try to force Tampa Bay to run and or at least stop their running game. But Tampa Bay, they're, they're going to threaten you through the air, and that's really going to be the difference here. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll talk to you on Friday. That's it for the Bird's Eye View podcast. That's Zach Berman. I'm Jeff McClain. Thanks a lot.